I, I'm starting a new uh, series uh, today that I'm excited about, and it's already speaking to my heart, and I hope it speaks to yours. It's called Save a Seat. Save a Seat. And if I could give it a subtitle, it would be this. Make heaven available for everyone. Make heaven available for everyone. Hasn't Jesus already done that? And he's entrusted us to get the word out. And this series is going to be how we can gain a heart for those who need Jesus and how we can be intentional in being used by God to reach them. So the key text for today is found in John 4, if you want to turn there on your, in your Bible or with your app. Uh, there will, it will be on the screen, of course, but give you just a little bit of a setup. Jesus and his disciples were traveling through Samaria, and he stopped by a well for some water, but he had a bigger purpose in mind. I'll begin reading at verse 7. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman asked him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, is the note in parentheses. So in that culture, it wasn't common for men to address women, especially those that they didn't know. And it also wasn't common for Jews to associate themselves with Samaritans. The Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans. So we see Jesus breaking two barriers, uh, a gender barrier and a race barrier to reach this woman. Verse 10, it says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Aren't you glad you asked Jesus for living water? <clears throat> He's referring to salvation. And Jesus, this gets the woman's attention, and Jesus tells her to go get her husband. And I love this part. Jesus says, go get your husband. And the lady says, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you spoke correctly. <laughs> Sometimes God's going to see where you are. He wants to see if you will be true with him and true with yourself. She said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you said right. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now ain't even your husband. <laughs> wow. And the lady said, oh, I see you're a prophet. <laughs> and verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Now, that's very interesting that they didn't ask him and why the author, why John, would include that. Of course, we know under the direction of the Holy Spirit. But it's interesting that they didn't ask. These are students being taught by their teacher. You would have thought they would have asked, Lord, what is this about? Why? What's the reason? Because it was so uncommon, again, for men to be talking to women and 
for a Jew to a Samaritan, but they didn't. And I think we see the reason why later on in the scripture. Verse 23, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? Verse 30, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I love the disciples. They make me feel so much better. Because look at what they said at verse 33. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Their mind is on lunch. Jesus' mind is on reaching this woman. His mind is on reaching this town. Now this town, because of this woman, this town is coming out to, to meet Jesus. If you could set yourself there and you're a visual person, you can see the Jesus and his disciples are, are at the well and and the disciples are looking into the lunch bag, making sure their Chick-fil-A is still going to stay warm. Like, hey, you want this sandwich? Are you going to eat all those fries? They're having this kind of conversation about their stomach. And Jesus is looking out with a passionate gaze at the town coming to meet him because of the testimony of this woman. The disciples are stuck on their stomachs. Jesus is stuck on the spiritual need standing right before them. And the, and the lesson to us is, man, how fast we can forget about the most important things in this life. And we can be so consumed on the menial things that really don't matter. Right now, before we get too far in this service, somebody has already thought, what am I going to have for lunch? Raise your hand and let the Lord set you free, if that's you. <laughs> Somebody's being honest back there. <laughs> and we can be so driven by the natural and so driven by the flesh that we can lose sight of the most important things that Jesus wants us to see. The title of this first message in this series is Look and See. Look and see. Let me finish up. Jesus said, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months to harvest. So this was a common phrase there for them. Hey, don't worry about it. There's four months of harvest. It was more of a procrastination. Like, hey, we got time. It's four months of, you know, to a harvest. Jesus said, ain't that a saying that you have? But I tell you to open your eyes and look at the fields. They are white, excuse me, ripe for harvest. Ripe for harvest. Meaning the souls of people. And as Jesus said this, I believe the town people are getting closer and closer. And that is the harvest. And the challenge for you and me today is for the Holy Spirit to help us to look and see. There are people who are ready to receive Jesus as their Savior. Can we pray? Lord, thank you so much. Thank you that someone reached us. 
someone, Lord God, minister to us. Every one of us in this room, somebody, you use somebody to lead us to you. And where would we be today if they hadn't? We thank you. Think about that person that God used to reach you as we're praying. Think about them. If they're still living, ask God to bless them. Bless them, Lord God. I have a long chain of people that you use. Bless them. And Lord, help us to be that person to someone else. Lord, speak to our hearts, church. Would you pray that with me? Lord, speak to my heart. Change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, I forgot to welcome everybody watching online. And I I hear people all the time that say, I watch you online. Can we give them a big round of applause today? Up about three, up till about three years ago, I had 20-20 vision. Was quite proud of that. And now... I have to have those dreaded reading glasses. And I've discovered things that weren't a problem to me before. Why do they make expiration days on important things like deli meat so hard to see? Do you realize that if you eat deli meat one day after expiration, it could kill you? (laughs) Or make you wish you were dead? especially that sliced turkey and sliced chicken. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And they make that date so hard to read. Didn't have a problem with that before, though, but now I do. And I know I've thrown away some really good sliced turkey just because I couldn't read that expiration date. Things are harder to see. I'm trying to not be that person in the restaurant that has to turn the flashlight on to see the menu. You know what I mean. The older I get, the harder it is to see those things. And church, we got to be careful because the longer we sit in church, the harder it is to see those around us who need Jesus. We can get in a Christian bubble. When we first got saved, we were just coming fresh out of being a real good heathen. And all of our friends were heathens. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Now we're in church for quite some time. We didn't hang around them anymore. We can't do those things. So we're in church. and We have good church friends. And that's what we need. We need each other. But we still have a world to reach. And we have to be intentional of of getting out of our Christian bubble, our church bubble, to reach people who still need Jesus. So we must look and see, look and see who Christ would have us to reach. I have a chair, and it's a golden chair, and it represents some things this morning to us. The first thing, if you're taking notes, that this chair represents, represents person. As a matter of fact, every empty seat represents a person here today that needs to know the gift of salvation that's already been purchased for them. Every one of these seats, I saw people walking in and they're like, is this seat reserved? Is this seat saved? 
No, it's not. But spiritually speaking, it could be this represents somebody that needs to know Jesus Christ. This chair is gold. It speaks of the value of a soul. Every person is an eternal soul. And they will live somewhere for eternity. And we know the truth, and the truth is they will either live eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. And the wonderful news that we and you, I and you have is that Jesus has already made a way for them to be in heaven. He don't have to spill any more blood. It is for the sins of the world that he paid the ultimate price. And they just have to receive him, that free gift of salvation. There's approximately 5.4 billion people on the earth that need to know Jesus Christ. Wow. And that's a huge number. And wow, we were like blown away at that, but that's real people. I need some help to illustrate this next point. Is Sarah Brooke, can you help me, Sarah Brooke? Thank you for being so happy about that. Abigail, can you help me too? I love these, I love our young people. They're just so willing to help. I asked this morning, Eliana just came in and asked her to help me put stickers on all of these chairs. She's like, yes, yeah, sure. Don't you just love people? Come on stage. Y'all are too pretty to be down there, would you? But now it's going to get just a little serious because one of the things that I think many of us in this room, if not all of us, can remember was the Pearl School shooting. 1997, two students were killed. Seven were injured. One of them attended our youth group. One of the girls that was killed attended my friend's youth group. Two real people were killed that day. See, we can say numbers, but when we see faces, it becomes a little bit more real to us. So when we say 5.4 billion people, those are real people that somebody knows, faces. Now, I understand this one to be a little bit of a heavy message, and that's okay. We need heavy messages sometimes. In, during Hurricane Katrina, all of us can remember that, there was 1,392 people killed. If, if y'all would do me a favor, Abigail, if you'll look that way, and if you will stand right behind her, looking toward her, though, and put your feet up against her feet. So how many is 1,392 people? This would be a line heel to toe of people a third of a mile long. What is a third of a mile? Let me break it down just a little bit more. That's almost six football fields of people 
in a line heel to toe that were killed. Stand there just for a little bit longer. I know it's a little uncomfortable to be that close, but at least y'all love each other. So 5.4 billion people, what does that look like? If you started this line from this platform, you would head west to California, and then you would have to cross, build a bridge to cross over the Pacific Ocean. If you go in the widest part of the world, the equator, you'd have to bridge over to continents like Africa, those that border the equator, and then you'll eventually have to build a bridge across the Atlantic Ocean to come through South Carolina, Georgia, if you will, and come all the way back through to Mississippi to get back to this platform. You would do that not one time. Heel to toe, people, not two times. You would have to not only do it three times or four times, you would have to do that 124 times. 5.4 billion people that need to know the gift of salvation that's already paid for them. Can you see why this chair is golden today? It's valuable, the price that was paid. Thank you all very much. People are the most valuable creation on this earth. God proved that by sending his most valuable treasure from heaven to pay the price. The scripture says what Jesus said himself, what profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? What is Jesus saying? He is saying that the price of a soul is more valuable than all the possessions in the world. One soul. Valuable. It's a person. The seat represents a place. I've already alluded to this some. You know, when we go to a crowded event and we're going there before our friends get there, We'll usually say what? I'll save you a seat. Save you a seat. Why? Because we want them to be with us. We want them to have a place. Well, Jesus has already said, I'll save you a seat. To everybody you know that needs him. The ultimate price that he gave for every soul. He purchased the ticket. He's reserved a place. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you so you can be where I am. He didn't just say that to me and you. He said that to everybody that needs him. Ephesians says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. He paid the price long before we ever acknowledged him, the scripture is saying. It is by grace you have been saved. Aren't you thankful today? 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. The scriptures, Jesus is, the scriptures say that Jesus has seated us in heavenly realms because of his sacrifice. As heathen as I was, as sinful as I was, as wicked as I was, as self-consumed as I was, Jesus had seated me in heavenly places. That was his plan for my life. Now, I had to receive it. Yes, I had to take my position, but it was already his plan. The same for every person that you know that needs Jesus Christ as their Savior. This is the reason why at Move Church, we got to make some room. Yeah, we got some room in here today. We got we got some seats available. What does that mean? We got potential. We must add. We must reach. Every person represents a soul. Every seat, empty seat, represents a soul. A father that needs to give his life to Christ, and when he does, the family is coming behind. Teenager that needs to give their life to Christ and the potential that God has for them, who knows who they may reach because of their life. I want you to look, if you would, look at the empty seats. Usually most Sundays we don't have this many empty seats the first service, but there's potential. Second service, we'll probably have potential. We're going to fill these up. The Lord is going to help us to do that, and we're going to need, we need more room. We need to keep adding to that number, to those souls being saved. Let me give you number three. The third thing this represents is a mandate. What does a mandate mean? It's a special, excuse me, an official order or commission to do something. An official order. The Bible calls it the Great Commission. We've been commissioned with a mandate. Jesus said, tells every one of us, therefore go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son. Let me get that scripture if you would. And of the Holy Spirit, verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, Pastor, isn't he talking about you guys? Ain't that, ain't that your job? Yeah, we, we're to make disciples, but you know the Bible gives a job description of the pastor, and that's to train up the, the, the workers to do the work of the ministry. As a matter of fact, the more ministry that I do, the less I'm doing my job. I'm to train the body up to do ministry. That's what the scripture says. And when we're all doing ministry, we're all making a difference in our world around us, we can reach that 5.4 billion people. It's a mandate that we have. Do we get to choose it? No, it chose us. When the Holy Spirit moved in, he moved in to give you a heart for God and a heart for others. Your life's, what is my life's goal? What, what, should, I, what should I do? What, what's my mission on earth? To love God 
and to, to cause others to love him. Someone said this, to, to know God and to make him known. Now, that looks different for all of us, but it all boils down to that, that you and I are, are, are here. We, we, we're to love God. We're to know God. Then we're to cause others to love him and to know him. That's it. And what could be more important for us? How many of you think our president's got a pretty important job? Whatever you feel about politics, I won't get into that at the moment. But he's got a pretty important job. The person that makes disciples is more important than that position. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about souls. We're talking about heaven and hell. That's a pretty important position, isn't it? And God has given us a mandate to do it. A commission, if you will, to do it. So we must look and see. I know it's our heart. It's our heart to make a difference in others. It's not our heart to be so consumed with ourself. Satan would want to get us so consumed chasing our own tail, right, that we don't see anybody else, that we can't be effective for anybody else. But we, the Holy, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you've given your life to Christ, you do. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And he wants to help you. He gives you a desire to make a difference in someone else's life. So thankful for all of our movers. Man, they were here this morning early. And uh, I mean, I was blessed. Uh, you know, we got here, just uh, usually someone beats us here. And after a few minutes, there was about five or six. And, and can I personally brag just a moment? I guess I don't have to ask since I got the microphone. But the five or six that were here shortly after that were all my family. I said, wow, this is family church. And I'm proud of that. And I told Teresa, what would mom think about it? You make a difference. Every one of you, you make a difference. And it's our heart to make a difference in life. Sometimes we just don't know how. And Jesus said that well, let's look and see first. I think this is the first step. Let's learn to look and see. So in the next few little moments, I, I'm praying that God grabs our heart to make us aware and to help us to see. There are three things that we must see. The first one is this. Look and see where they are. We all, every one of us, have an area of influence. Sarah Brooke and Abigail that stood here, they have an area of influence. They have people that look at them. As a matter of fact, if they only knew this, there's more people looking at them than they think. And it can be said for all of us, we influence more people than we know. They're all around us. They're friends, their family, their, maybe for some of us, co-workers, they're watching our lives. I heard this as a child, and it's always stuck with me. I heard the preacher man say, you may be the only Bible that somebody ever reads. You may be the only Bible that somebody ever reads. 
by looking at your life the way you live. And if, if that is the case, will it want them to, will it give them that thirst like the woman at the well for the living water for Jesus if they look at my life? Or will it make them say, if that's what Jesus looks like, I don't want to have anything to do with him. We must see where they are. Every one of us has influence. A life lived for Jesus is your best witness. Someone else said, be a witness for Christ and sometimes use words. The way we live shares the gospel, and we should use words, though. We should as the opportunity comes. But we must pray for divine moments that God will use us to share Christ with them. Jesus says he will give it to us. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit will lead you to be a witness. You notice that? He didn't say, and you'll learn how, and, or maybe you'll have opportunities. He said, when my power comes on you, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit, if you follow him, he will put you in places that you can shine for Jesus and only Jesus. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's your local area. And in Judea and Samaria, that's more of a, a, a regional. For us, it would be more like state area. And then to the ends of the earth. Move Church, we support three missionaries. I don't do a good job of bringing this before you, but we support three foreign missionaries every month. China, as a matter of fact, Jeff Slaughter is in Europe right now, reaching people, ministering to the church there. And then um, Africa, thank you, Lucretia in Africa. And I don't even think he knows this yet, but we're going to be supporting Papa Charlie in Africa also doing this feeding program and, and medical clinic in Africa. How do we do that? By your giving to missions. Why do we do that? Because we want to be a witness to the ends of the earth. We must look and see where they are. We must also look and see who they are. We can so easily judge people at face value. And I will say this, Move Church, you do a great job at not judging people at face value. Thank you for that. And because of that, God can bring the hurting. He can bring those that don't feel like they fit in anywhere else. No one should ever say, I went to a church and didn't feel welcome. But can I tell you, if you know of somebody that is like that, please tell them to come through those doors. And I believe God is going to send us more and more people that we can love on. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a hurt. Everyone has an experience, a reason why they are the person they are today. And everyone is loved by God and has been issued a, the blood of Jesus to cover their sins already. Matthew 9, look at what Jesus said. It says, when he saw the crowds, the scripture says about Jesus, he had compassion on them. 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in the harvest field. Did you notice he didn't say, pray for their souls? He said, pray that God would send someone to give them the good news. I believe that prayer has not been answered today. Why? Because there's still 5.4 billion that are, need to be harvested. Compassion is love in action. We don't have to be like them to reach them, but we must love them to reach them. The old saying is true, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And Jesus had compassion for the lost, and he wants to give you and me that same compassion for them. And if we love him, if we love God, he will. Let me give you the last thing that we must see. Look and see what they need. Yeah, the given is Jesus. The ministry of Jesus. What is the ministry of Jesus? John 1 tells us, says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Look at this full of grace and truth. This is the ministry of Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. Truth says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many of you accept that truth? Yeah, I have sinned. I mean, raise your hand right up like that if you would. Yeah, we're going to get it. We have sinned. Yeah, that's the truth. Some of us were better than others. Some of us got a degree in sin. Mm -hmm. I had to let that out. I'm sorry. Because I was one, as Paul said. That's the truth. But grace says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Truth says there's no way to the Father but through Jesus, his Son. And grace says, but everyone who calls on that name will be saved. See, truth without grace is mean, but grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is religion, but grace without truth is deception. The best example, we see this throughout Jesus' ministry, but the best example is the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And the scripture says they brought her before Jesus. And they wanted to see how Jesus would respond. She was caught in the act. I do think it's interesting that the man that was caught in the act was not there. Ladies, that was a good little spot to say, yeah. But they brought her before Jesus. And they said the law says she must be stoned, throwing her in front of Christ. Bible says Jesus was drawing in the sand, and many think, people speculate, and I really align it with the belief that Jesus was writing down the names of the men there and their sins. He said, what do you say, Jesus? 
And Jesus, full of wisdom, said, you without sin cast the first stone. And the scripture says that the beginning with the older, because they had committed more, more sins, they began to drop their stones and leave till no one was left other than the woman in Jesus. And the truth is this. Jesus is the only one who could have answered that statement and picked up a stone and stoned her. He was the only one without sin. But Jesus did not. He said, woman, where are your accusers? She said, there are none. Look at what the scripture says. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. That's grace. Jesus, with compassion in his eyes, who could have stoned her, he was the only one without sin. He says, but I don't condemn you. That's grace. He goes on to say, go now and leave your life of sin. That is truth. We've all been offered grace, and grace is something that we receive we do not earn. But with that grace, we are empowered to not have to give in to the same things again. That's truth. Grace says, come like you are to Jesus, the one who loves you. Truth says, because of Jesus' love for you, he ain't going to let you stay where you are. Isn't that wonderful? And the life that he brings us to is so much better than what we used to live. Would you stand? Can I, I'll give you these three last things as you're standing. Somebody says, well, how am I going to write them? Use the back of the person in front of you, maybe. So the ways that we can get these eyes to see. First, we have to accept the mandate. The mandate has to become my mission. The mandate has to become your mission. You have to understand you have a high calling. It's a very, very important calling. The scripture says that you are ambassadors of Christ. It's your calling. The Holy Spirit sanctioned you, commissioned you. You are a part of the ministry. It's wonderful. You can reach people that I cannot reach. Man, I try not to tell people I'm a preacher. Man, and it just bugs me when people say, you look like a preacher. What does that look like? I'm, I'll change it. Because when they find out I'm a preacher, they get all weird acting. And they start talking this religious talk that they can't even talk good. I'd rather see you're real, see. But you can reach people that I'll never be able to. You have people all around you. You have to understand your life as a Christian is not just about going to work buying a house, having a happy little family. Those are blessings, yes. 
but your life is so much bigger. You are called to be people who snatch people from the flames. The scripture says that there are those that we're to snatch from the flames. What could be more important than that? You got to accept it, brother. You got to accept, I can do it. See, the biggest lie the enemy will tell you is you don't have the words to say. You don't know what to say. You're going to lead somebody away from God. He's going to tell you all this stuff, but you got experience. You have a life. If you've received Christ, you have a life that was changed by him. If you don't have a life that was changed by him, I would like to introduce you to him before you leave. But you got to mandate it. We got to mandate it. Second thing is this, let's pray for those around us. We're going to accept that. We're going to answer Jesus' prayer. We're going to have to pray that he sends laborers. We're going to be the laborer. Let's pray for those around us. Ask the Lord to give us opportunity. You may be surprised that the people that are the most vilest and the most wickedness or most wicked are probably the most easiest to reach for Jesus. Most likely a lot of them at one time knew something about the Lord in their past. I know the most miserable people on the face of the earth are those people who know enough about God that they can't enjoy their sin anymore. And man, minister to them. Then the third thing is look for opportunities. Look for those opportunities. I have found that you can interject Jesus in just about any conversation. But conversation gets sometimes gets a little weird after that. I went out and got drunk last Friday night. Man, I went to church and got drunk in the spirit. Huh? You can interject Jesus in just about any conversation. It really just comes down to us being intentional. I know in my past I have I've had knowledge of Christ when I was not living the life. And I ask the Lord to forgive me. Of course, I wasn't living for him, so therefore I didn't have his love anyway. I ask him to forgive me, and I ask him this. Lord, give me another opportunity. I want to reach him. If you, even while living for God, I know I've missed some opportunities. And I've say, said the same thing. Lord, forgive me. Help me to reach him. The sticker on every chair is for two reasons. I wanted us to feel, get the feeling of that these chairs are reserved. Well, there ain't nobody sitting there. Yeah, they just don't know it. They just don't know heaven is already available for them. And for the second reason, that sticker wants you to take that sticker. And if you would put a name of someone you know that needs Jesus. Would you take a moment to do that? You can find a pen. 
and they have to share pens. The name of one person. This person is on your heart. And we're not judging them. No, it's not about that. It's just we want to make sure they know Jesus. You don't have to put their last name even. If you have already, you don't have to scratch it out. Don't make it hard. I want you to be praying for them. I want you to ask God to give you an opportunity. Then in just a moment, before you leave, I'm going to ask you to bring that name up. It's going to take a little time. We'll do it at the very end. And I want to ask you to put it on this chair. Stick it to this chair. And we're going to believe that God is going to use us, if not in, in this a seat in this church, I hope so. Maybe a seat in another church. It, it really doesn't matter the church as long as they have their seat in heaven. Isn't that right? Serving Jesus. That's what we're going to pray. We're going to be praying on Wednesday night. We're going to pray over these names. I just want you to come up at the end of service if you feel like you want to do this and just stick it to this chair. It's going to be messy looking. That's okay. but we're going to believe that God uses you and uses many other people to reach them. Let's make sure we got our own seat. Would you bow your head just for a moment? We're seated in Christ, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where Jesus is already saving you a seat. It's up to you if you want that seat. See, he don't force it on you. I believe, especially where we are, if you miss God and you miss heaven and you end up in hell, it's going to be a choice that you made. You're going to have to bypass all of that love. You're going to have to step over God's grace. You're going to have to deny Christ, that wooing of your heart, and say, no, I want to do my own thing. And he loves you so much, he'll let you do that. If you're feeling like a little nervous right now, you're feeling just a little uneasy, but feeling just a little different, that's God loving on you today. He wants to come into your life. I can promise you this. I have never met one person that said, I wish I had not given my life to Christ. <laughs> I wish I hadn't made that decision. I've never met them. I've always heard them say, I'm so glad I did. I begin living then. And that's Christ. You don't see it a lot of times to after, though. I'm telling you to try Jesus. Get in this seat. You won't regret it. Church, can we pray it out loud? If you're watching online and you need this prayer, please pray it from your heart. We'll give you the words, but you give God your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you gave your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins I'm a sinner I need a savior would you forgive me for all my sins would you come into my heart would you change my life and I'm going to do my best to live for you in Jesus name amen heads bowed just for a moment Say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer and I needed to. 
And I ask Christ in my life today. I'm so thankful he gave me a chance to take a seat with him. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You can put your hand down. We praise God for you. As a matter of fact, heaven is rejoicing right now. Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you. The Bible says that one sinner repents, heaven has a party. <laughs> Man, I see it as heaven says, you're welcome home. Welcome home. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I want to pray one other prayer. I'm going to ask God to give you opportunities. If you're willing to accept the mandate, the command, would you raise your hand? I'm going to ask God to give us opportunities. God, we're raising our hands saying we want to be used by you. Give us opportunities. Would you do that? Lord God, put it on our heart and give us those opportunities that we can walk through it and see other people saved. And we thank you for such a high calling in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.